like to invite you to become a member of the BTR Community subscription-based social media platform. BTR Community is a platform that was set up for the listening audience of Black Talk Radio Network, the number one independent black radio network online. For just $24 per year, your subscription gives you access to an interactive space to share information with like-minded people with your privacy guaranteed. Your subscription will go a long way to help us maintain and improve our current media platforms. It will also help provide a budget so that we can begin the task of establishing localized media centers and radio stations across the United States. The best way to show your support and appreciation for what we do here at Black Talk Radio is to subscribe. Help us to help you be informed. Join btrcommunity.com today. The views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Good evening and welcome to BTR News. My name is Scotty Reed. I'm broadcasting from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. On this Tuesday evening, it is a little after 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. On this day, August the 14th, 2018. I hope that my voice finds you safe and sound as much as possible behind these enemy lines. But I tell you, some of the stuff... I seen over the weekend, I, I tell you, man, I don't know if y'all saw that savage cop in Baltimore beating up that Baltimore resident. I mean, he left the man bloody, beaten and battered on the ground. I mean, it was just despicable, just despicable. And so, you know, um, there are those who want to distract you from the slave catcher violence and they want to always bring up, um, violence between civilians, which ain't got nothing to do with the issue, okay? Is it violence? Yes, it's violence. But other than that, it's totally unrelated. Now, that's not even one of the stories that I was going to talk about today, but right before coming on air, maybe about 30 minutes before coming on air, somebody was was spamming one of my social media accounts. I had did a podcast um, was that over the weekend? Might have been Friday, might have been Saturday. But I published a podcast about the Baltimore resident being brutalized by the Baltimore cop. And here comes, you know, your butter biscuit eating black person to come and talk about, well, what about black on black crime? Ain't got nothing to do with it. And, and, you know, making these assumptions that black people, aren't angry about the crimes in their, that uh, get committed in their neighborhoods, but what does one 
have to do with the other. And as I said to that person, you know, I don't see gang members driving around with logos on the side of their cars that say to serve and protect. As far as I know, logic tells me that gang members do not swear an oath to the U.S. Constitution or to the state constitution or anything of the sort. They don't go, you know, gang members have not pledged to do anything in their communities other than what they do, all right? But I do got a story I will share a little later when I get to what's in the news where I was talking about something uh, in relation to some crime in our community. For those that don't know, I had my fourth cousin, a 21-year-old young man, college student, along with one of his friends who was also a college student, were found murdered, uh, shot to death sitting in, I don't know if it was his car or his friend's car. And we buried him yesterday. And so before this person came on my thread today to bring up black on black crime and say we're not outraged whenever a black person kills another black person in our community is is nonsense. And I had just been talking about it in a previous uh, podcast. So just because y'all don't see it on mainstream media doesn't mean people aren't saddened or not frustrated are not trying to work on solutions to address that issue. But again, one issue has nothing to do with the other. So, but yeah, I'll talk about a good news story coming out of Chicago, which I had even asked a question last week on that podcast about why we don't see more work like the Black Panther Party was doing to get these street gangs, street families as some call them, to stop warring with each other and to become civically minded towards their communities. You know, Black Panther Party engaged in that. Um, The Illinois uh, chapter of the Black Panther Party, you had Chairman Fred Hampton Uh, engaged in that sort of work before being murdered by the Chicago police. So I do have a good news story, at least on that front, to report coming out of Chicago. And and hopefully it can be duplicated. It, It certainly is working in that area of Chicago. But my main topic today, which I always touch upon, the main topics at the top of the second hour, if we, you know, if I'm doing two hours, and I plan to do two hours today if I need the entire two hours. But today, I want, as my main topic, I'm going to continue to speak out against those who enable the messengers of hate while claiming to be against the very things the messengers of hate advocate for against their targeted groups. I also want to discuss big social media and corporate dependency, you know, because these people's excuses are, well, if they take Alex Jones down, they're going to come after Scotty Reed and Black Talk Radio Network on Facebook. and Or if they get rid of his YouTube channel, they're going to come next and get rid of Black Talk Radio's YouTube channel. 
And you know what? That very may well be, as I've talked about in the last time I touched upon this subject, I have been banned uh, for a couple of days by uh, YouTube, uh, also by Facebook. The last thing they did to me, they didn't ban me, but they removed one of my posts saying I was engaging in hate speech. So this gave me a thought that, you know what? These people that is so scared about being kicked off of the uh, for Facebook, being kicked off of Twitter, those are the two major platforms. Uh, you know, there are others, but those are the two big ones. That's why I'm calling them big social media. Um, and YouTube, you know, I wouldn't call it social media, but it is certainly a corporate-owned platform owned by Google. And so these people who are railing against big social media and corporations are showing their dependency on those platforms and not relying on self and not doing for self. Okay, I remember the days, y'all just don't know how long I've been on the internet. I've been on the internet maybe five years after it launched in the, in the, um, in the early 80s, 19... Uh, 90s and what have you and back then there was no Twitter, there was no Facebook there was no YouTube there was none of that, none of these social media platforms you you know how we got traffic to our platforms the website owners also known as webmasters we created what was known as web rings and what that meant was is that we displayed advertisement and links to each other's platforms so that we could uh, um, you know develop our audience and share our audience not relying on these big corporate platforms for our traffic but today listening to people complain about Alex Jones getting kicked off of social media I'm saying that's cause you built up a dependency on those platforms, but then you want to rail against Mark Zuckerberg. You want to talk bad about Google and the things that they do, but yet that's where you're, you're solely basing your operations. So you're dependent on them. You're dependent. I can't think of any other word because you know, we hear the right wing. They like to use the the uh, slander against the black community and say that Democrats have, have created a cultural dependency among black people. And, and that's not true. That's not true whatsoever. But I think it is true that media content creators have built up a dependency on big corporations to get their message out. And if you're dependent on somebody else who more than likely is going to be aligned against your message. But if you're depending on these people to get your message out, you've already lost the propaganda war. As I stated in my last podcast, Alex Jones understands this is a war. He says there's a war on for your mind. That's been a tagline of his at least since 1999, I believe. That's when I came across him on the internet. He says there's a war on for your mind. So he understands that his propaganda is his way 
of contributing to the war effort of those in his group, those part of his group, racist white males, okay? He understands it. It is leftists, I'm finding, who don't understand this is propaganda warfare. They just don't understand. All right, so I will share some articles with you, uh, some comments from some people who continue to advocate for Alex Jones using uh, apples and oranges comparisons that don't match to continue to advocate for hate speech, which is just as wrong as the hate speech itself. There, it, I'm not a free speech absolutist. If that was the case, I would open up Black Talk Radio to everybody. i let Alex Jones have a platform. I'll be reaching out to Alex Jones right now and say, hey, Facebook don't want you. YouTube don't want you. But come to Black Talk Radio and talk bad and tell lies and spread conspiracy theories about black people on Black Talk Radio. Okay? I, I, that's not going to happen. Because I'm not a free speech absolutist. There are limits to speech. Speech is, a, you know, depending upon how you're getting that speech out. That's media. And media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet, as Malcolm X taught me years ago. Not directly, of course. He was, he was uh, assassinated while I was a baby. So he didn't teach me directly. But I learned from the media that was produced with him saying that, okay? So, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just ridiculous and it's mind-boggling for people who claim to be friends, be our friends, advocating for a person like Alex Jones to spread his bio, to spread his hate, okay? With friends like that, I don't need friends. I don't need you to be my friend. If you're going to tell me we must tolerate people like Alice Jones, we must tolerate hate speech. We must tolerate dehumanizing language. We, you know, we got to let it all hang out. We got to tolerate it all. Hell no. I got more sense than that. Depends on what type of society you want to build. All right. So I, I, I am into censorship and so are they. Because these very same people, they ain't got these right-wingers on their shows or on their YouTube channels and making them part of their panels and what have you. So they are being hypocrites. They censor people by not having those people on their, on their uh, programs, okay? They may talk about those people, but they ain't giving those people a voice to spread their message on their platform so they're hypocrites they want to tell big social media corporations to do something that they ain't even willing to do so it's just it's confusion and it's hypocrisy all right now as i touched upon last week i discussed the sensitive violence in the black community and talked about solutions to get the street gangs to stop the violence towards one another in the communities they live in. And I am happy today to report a little good news 
on that front. So we're going to get it started and let that be our lead story as we go through what's in the news. But before I do that, let me give out the telephone number for those who may have a question or comment once we get into the program. You can give us a call at 704-802-5056. That's 704-802-5056. Hit star star on your telephone keypad and I'll see you on the board and I will come to you. Please, please, by all means, watch your background noise for us, okay? Watch your background noise. But again, that phone number, 704-802-5056. I'll try to do a better job of keeping an eye on the chat room for those who are kind of shy. And, um, you know, they, they will leave messages in the chat room. I'll try to do a better job in doing that. Oh, also, some network news. In case you were wondering what happened to Tando Radio Show, which normally airs on Black Talk Radio Network at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time in this time slot, um, Dave, the host of Tando Radio Show, has new business opportunities or new business obligations that are that is preventing him from continuing the program in this time slot. So there's going to be a new time slot. He's going to come on at 12 noon Eastern time. Um, no, that's not right. That's not right. 11 a.m. Eastern time, which will be 10 o'clock a.m. Central time, which is his time zone. So it's going to become a morning program instead of an evening program. So in a way, I'm kind of glad it happened because it forced me to get back behind this mic. You know, um, this is very depressing work that I'm engaged in and I get depressed and I'm in need of taking breaks and what have you. And a lot of people would listen to the live broadcast and I just was mentally unable to continue. And this kind of pushed me right back, you know, behind this microphone and, you know, it's good to be back. It's good to be back, you know. Um, I'm kind of caught up on some of the behind the scenes. Well, I'm never caught up. I'm not even going to lie to you. You know, it's kind of hard to get caught up when you only got two volunteers and then you can't even, pay, you don't have enough revenue coming in to even hire a staff to help you with everything. So I'm never caught up, but I'm caught up enough that I can start back doing these programs, all right? So just wanted to uh, give you that network update. Tando Radio Show will start airing. I think his first show back will be Thursday um, at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, which will be 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. So um, you Tando Radio Show listeners, of course, if you're not able to listen that early in the morning, the podcast will be available and, of course, we also upload our archives to the radio station when there, for when there's no live programming. Please continue to support and send in your financial contributions. Um, I don't have any names in front of me. Not that I would give out their names publicly. I might just say a first name or, or what have you. But thank you. 
uh, to those who donated over the past week to the North Carolina-based nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. If we are to have true independence, if we're not going to be dependent on Facebook, if we're not going to be dependent on YouTube or any other corporate platform that might treat, treat us adversely, then guess what? Then we have to build our own. We have to maintain our own and we have to pay for it. We have to pay for it. I don't expect corporate media to support the type of media that is produced on Black Talk Radio Network. All right. So the only way that we can support it is, is each and every one of us who listen to it, who participate in it and who support it is to send some financial support as well. Again, we are a nonprofit based here in North Carolina. That's Black Talk Media Project. And speaking of social media, big social media, we have btrcommunity.com. You can also get there by going to community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. Had a couple of new members join over the past few days. Welcome to those new members. No, it is it is a it is not like Facebook, meaning that it is not free. Meaning that there is there is a fee. For you to join btrcommunity.com is just $24 a year. That breaks down to $2 a month. And when you look at how much it is costing you, like Dave has talked about in the past, on the so-called free social media platforms like Facebook, then there is no comparison. Because we do not sell your email addresses to these marketers. We don't, you don't even have to share your real name. You don't even have to use your real name or a picture of yourself to be a part of btrcommunity.com. You can post what you want to post in complete anonymity. And when I say post what you want to post, I do mean within reason. Okay. Uh, uh, we don't engage in dehumanizing other people. Um, we definitely don't engage in anti-blackness and what have you. So within reason, let me just make that caveat. Within reason, you can post what you want to post. And it's just $24 a year. And we value you. And we will not betray you by turning over your information to some banking company as Facebook is or trying to get information on you. No, we're not engaged in that. We don't work with the police. We don't work with the Central Intelligence Agency. We don't work with the FBI. We don't work with local police to try to spy on you and identify who you are and, and you know, just provide ammunition to be used against you, even by prospective employers. No, we don't do that at btrcommunity.com, which is, again, managed by the North Carolina Nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. All right, got all of that out the way. Very important information. Let me get into these news articles before we get to our main topic. I tell you, man, time goes by fast, man. It's already 24 minutes after six. Wow, I, I just, you know, 
am not used to being on air like that because when I'm sitting behind the scenes and I'm engineering the program, time does not go by that fast. But it, we're almost at the half hour mark. So let me jump into some of these stories so I can get to them all. This is a story that's coming to you from ebony.com. A uh, hat tip to Max Parthis. Uh, he shared this on his Twitter account. He might have shared it on, on some of the other social media accounts. And I saw it today, and I was like, this is a great story. Let me share this story. And it was published yesterday. Uh, it was written by Teddy Grant for Ebony.com. It says, rival Chicago gangs join forces to build playground for children. Now, it does. Let's see if we can get this video report to play. It's probably going to load up an ad first because, you know, that's how these At platforms pay for We're everything. So I will let that ad go. But two rival gangs in Chicago have come together to build this platform for children and marking eight months without neighborhood violence in that area of Chicago. Maybe see if this has any... Um... Okay, that's one of those videos where it has text and they're not interviewing anyone. So let me read the article. This was also reported by CBS Chicago. and But it came out on Ebony.com yesterday. Thank you, Max, again for sharing this story. Because I was just talking about this when I was addressing... You know, the violence that we saw over that weekend in Chicago, the violence that that is happening in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was like just reminiscing, not reminiscing because I wasn't alive back then or I was just a baby back then. But, you know, I just started remembering in from my studies of the Black Panther Party and everything that they were doing for the community in addition to, you know, uh, uh, protecting us, um, trying to protect us from police slave catcher violence, but they also had the survival programs, which were food pantries, medical clinics. Um, they had uh, 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 student services, you know, reading and all of that good stuff. Um, but in, in addition to that, they worked with street gangs to get the street gangs to stop being a plague on the community and to see themselves as part of the community. I was just talking about that last week and, and here it is. Two rival gangs in Chicago have come together to build a playground for children to mark eight months without neighborhood violence, CBS Chicago reports. The gangs, which were not named, but are part of the North Pullman neighborhood in Chicago, reached a ceasefire in October when they realized that they were tired of the violence plaguing their community per the report. It's peace going on now, says Sherman Skurlock, a gang member who agreed to be interviewed by CBS. They really could play. They don't need to worry about anything. He's talking about the children playing in this in, in this uh, playground that they built. Chicago police detective Vivian Williams, who helped broker the peace deal between the two gangs and called the past violence senseless, 
connected the groups to the anti-gun violence organization Chicago Cred. And so, you know, let me stop right there. As I've said in the past, there are organizations, there are grassroots community groups who have been addressing the violence for as long as I can remember. You know, back in the day when I was in my teens, I remember, you know, marches in Chicago and some of the churches uh, doing what they could to stop the violence and trying to bring awareness to that sort of violence. So when I hear these people uh, who who come at us with these talking points and say, oh, the black community don't care about this violence in their community, they telling a lie. And all they doing is repeating racist talking points from white people. Okay, that's all they're doing. Or, you know, you got some black conservatives out there saying the same thing, but it originated with racist white folks as a way to take a focus off the slave catcher violence. It says several young men have been shot and some killed over a gang war that none of them even knew what they were fighting about, Williams said. We were working directly with the young men on the South and West sides, most likely to shoot and be shot, Arn Duncan of Chicago Cred told CBS. They didn't ask for anything for themselves. They said, our kids have no place to play. Can you help us build a playground now? Let me say this because I was asking this question with um, I was in a conversation, very interesting conversation with one of my cousins who just came back from working in China. And I'm actually going to invite her on as a guest to talk about her experience in China and what she found there in terms of racism, in terms of the large number of Africans who are in China um, because, you know, even just today, I was seeing a bunch of propaganda demonizing what China's doing in Africa. And these people usually cite no sources and they want to make it seem like China is doing to Africa what all the Europeans and Americans have done to Africa. And I don't see the correlation. It's, and so anyway, without getting sidetracked, I'm going to try to get my cousin on to interview her about um, her experience over there. All right, so it says that Arne Duncan, because I was talking to her about that, and I was like, you know, the so-called leadership in Chicago, how many famous or well-known or people put out front-ass leaders are based in Chicago or live in Chicago or have some kind of professional or religious organization in Chicago, a whole bunch. You got Oprah Winfrey, black billionaire in Chicago. I don't know where she lives now. She, I, I don't know where she lives, but that's where she made a name for herself is in Chicago. Yeah, Michael Jordan, who played his entire NBA career in Chicago, billionaire, certainly has resources that he could devote towards, um, you know, these organizations that's trying to bring an end to the violence in the community. Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, 
Barack didn't grow up in Chicago, but we was told that he cut his teeth as a community organizer in Chicago, but yet he hasn't done any organizing against the violence in Chicago. None that I have heard about or read about or seen. So, you know, we got to name the Obamas and what have you who are being criticized for that Obama library saying it's gentrifying the black community and what have you. Um, who else? Isn't Jesse Jackson in Chicago? Isn't Operation Push based in Chicago? I certainly haven't seen them out there in them streets. And if they have been, then please correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I realize that everything doesn't make the news. Everything doesn't get publicized. So it could be Barack Obama, Michelle Obama, uh, Michael Jordan, um, Miss Winfrey, Louis Farrakhan. And then remember Louis Farrakhan had, had the, the, what was it? The, I forgot the name of that last March in Washington, DC. And he talked about, we going to bring up 10,000 warriors to stand between black people in the community and violence in the community. I interviewed one Nation of Islam member after he said that who is based in Tennessee. And as far as I know, he's the only one who heeded that message and was out there trying to do anything of that Louis Farrakhan started. But ain't, ain't Louis Farrakhan based in Chicago? Okay. So I'm not trying to pick on one person because there's a bunch of people. There's a bunch of people based in Chicago or have roots in Chicago who ain't doing nothing in Chicago. And now you got former Obama administration, Arne Duncan. He was the uh, um, minister of education, even though that wasn't his title. Education of secretary. Secretary of education in the Obama administration, Arne Duncan, a white man who's running this organization who... who who set up this truce or helped facilitate this truce between these gang members in that part of Chicago and have gone eight months without violence and the gang members asked them to, hey, build this playground for these children. It is what it is. It says that the gang member Skullark is appreciative of the peace between the two gangs and is glad that they can come together to help the children. You get to hang out, sit on the porch, and not have to feel somebody's going to jump out of the car and start shooting, Skurlock said. The kids can have somewhere to play peacefully and both sides can come and enjoy themselves. That's some great, that's, that's some good work right there. That's a great story. We need more of these stories. And as I was, you know, putting this story out earlier today through social media, I was saying, you know, let's, let me put it in this context. When I sued a company for an injury that I suffered on a job, I had an attorney and they had an attorney and we were trying to reach a settlement on how much I was going to get for my injury or if I was going to get anything at all. Well, here in the state of North Carolina, before you can go to court, it goes to arbitration, right? So 
what an arbitrator does, he goes back and forth between the two groups and try to bring the two groups to a resolution. Is that something that might work for bringing a solution to resolving disputes between gangs? Can we set up an arbitration committee for gangs in our community? I don't know exactly because it's not sharing the details, very short story. It's not sharing the, de the details of what this Chicago group did, but it's working. And again, they aren't even the first to do it. The Black Panther Party was the first to implement such a solution. I mean, they even had gang members uh, helping people register to vote, uh, you know, looking out for the elderly, helping the elderly in the community, teaching these street gangs how to be civically minded and be a, be an asset to the community instead of a problem. So it's been done before, and it can be done be done again. So that's a good news story that I had to share with you all. Good job, and I and I hope that they continue to, you know, work together. These two gangs I'm talking about. I hope they continue to work together to make their community, that part, that that neighborhood in Chicago where they live, to be violence free, and work together to get things in the community, infrastructure in the community for our youth. That's that's a great story. Great story. Bet you they won't feature it on Fox News, will they? Beat uh, Amarosa. Let me talk about Amarosa. Lots of people got lots of things to say about Amarosa. I even had something to say last week um, on my podcast when I said, you know, I really don't know what to think. I don't know what to make of her book. You know, I don't know if if she knew Trump was a racist and heard him use the N-word in her presence and, and you know, she didn't care and she just wanted to make some money. Um, so that's why she joined his administration. I, I, I said, I don't know. I don't know. But over the weekend, I've been seeing all the mainstream media trash Amarosa and talk junk about her credibility, even though she got tapes. I'm glad she made the tapes. And I said today on social media, I wonder if Amarosa was, was playing the spook who sat by the door the entire time. Because if you're undercover then you got to have a good cover, right? Nobody's going to know what you're doing. But she apparently was making these tapes the entire time she was recording these people. And I will say, and I even on CNN, I saw a clip of them talking about her on YouTube, questioning her credibility, don't matter. And even though she got tapes backing up what she's saying, but they're questioning her credibility. And like I said, CNN ain't credible, okay? They gave you nonstop coverage of Donald Trump's campaign 
even when it was nothing to show but an empty podium. That's what CNN was doing. And they officer, their CEO admitted that they did that because Trump was, was driving ratings up and they was making a lot of money. So how credible are they? You know, who are they to point fingers at Omarosa and, and try to, um, you know, make it seem like, oh, nobody should buy her book. I didn't hear them saying that about Hillary Clinton. I'm going to call it racism. Nobody said anything about Hillary Clinton not being credible, and nobody should buy her book or trust anything she has to say about what happened. So I'm going to call racism on it. That's what I'm going to call it. That's what it appears to be. I may be wrong, but that's what it looks like. But they coming out hard against Omarosa and questioning her credibility, even though they supposed to be part of the so-called resistance to Trump. They should be welcoming this information in these tapes from Omarosa, who did not break the law as long as she was in the room when the conversation was being had. Okay? Washington, D.C. has a one-party consent law just like here in North Carolina that's why on Tando radio show I could call up the police department and ask them this that and the other live on air and not even inform them that they was being recorded or we were broadcasting your answers on a live radio show cause I don't need their consent this a one party state I'm, a, I'm part of it part of the conversation I was the one asking the questions and according to the laws in North Carolina, I don't have to tell you jack. Because I'm sure you recording me. Almost every government entity you you uh, go um, uh, call, they're recording you. So P CNN was even talking about she may be in trouble and all this and that. In trouble how? She ain't break no law. She didn't break no law. The White House is in Washington, D.C., she going by the laws of D.C. She ain't, you know, and it's on them. It's on them to have security. You know what I'm saying? But at the same, but I'm saying this though. And I don't claim, I don't know Amarosa. Ain't never talked to Amarosa. Okay. And so as far as I know, she only popped on the scene cause of a reality show based on business and what have you. That's how she came to fame, right? That's how she came to fame. And they even tried to make her look like a villain there. I didn't watch it, so y'all had to tell me. But again, reality TV ain't really reality. It's scripted too, but you know. Now, now we got Amarosa who's been making tapes of Donald Trump like the spook who sat by the door and she's revealing it. And she's showing other people to be liars as if we didn't already know. But I'm going to let y'all listen to her giving an interview um, about the tapes and about her book. 
we start talking about the N-word tape, I was surprised, as you heard on that recording, how no one doubted that he said it. And in fact, they had worked to try to suppress this tape for so long, and everyone says, he said it, he's embarrassed, he doesn't want this to come out. And now they're saying they have never heard these allegations, and it's ironic that these are high-level campaign staffers but talking about how to react. About why you were taping. I, because, I'm curious, too, about why matters. were you taping? Because the truth matters, Gail. And in fact, if I didn't have this tape, you all would probably be wondering if, in fact, they did talk about it. Why are people supposed to pay attention to what you're saying now when you're the kind of person who would be taping campaign phone calls in the middle of the campaign? Yes, I'm the kind of person who covers her own back. In Trump world, everyone lies. Everyone says one thing one day, and they change their story the next day. I wanted to have this type of documentation so that in the event I found myself in this position where, as you said, they're questioning my credibility, saying they never discussed the N-word tape, they had never heard these accusations, the president had never heard these accusations, when in fact this tape proves that they discussed it at high levels of the Trump campaign. So, so let's say the tape exists. Now what? What is the purpose of... So the tape comes out, we hear it. What do you hope will come out of this? Well, the sad thing is, um, as we saw with Access Hollywood, it probably won't impact his base. I think that their support is baked in, but it does expose him for the racist that he is. Now, it wasn't that Oprah friend Gail? I think that's Oprah friend Gail that, that she was speaking to, the black woman. See how adversarial she was being towards Amarosa. What are you doing taping and all in the white dude too? Why should we trust somebody who was taping during the campaign? Why would you do that? Like she said, to cover my own behind, to cover her backside, because y'all all a bunch of liars. And then, you know, you're going, you're even lying now. You're saying that you didn't say it. So here's the tape. Here's the tape. So that don't sound like the so-called opposition, does it? It sounds like they Trump advocates, right? Like, why are they bashing Amarosa for making the tape? Why isn't the story Katrina Pearson, and, and who was another black woman who was on the Trump campaign, who came out and said, this is a lie. We never discussed such a thing uh, or an existence of a tape with Donald Trump on The Apprentice talking about the N-word and what have you, and don't believe Amarosa, it, 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 don't believe her, right? Don't believe her. She's lying. She's just trying to make some money. And then Amarosa comes out with the freaking tape showing them to be liars. And now the Trump campaign is trying to sue her over a non-disclosure agreement. So I, I just want I just want to give a shout out to Amarosa for being the spook who sat by the door. If you've never read that book by Sam Greenlee or watched the movie, uh, you can find the full movie on YouTube. It was a movie that the FBI did not want you to see, and they suppressed its distribution in the United States in the 1970s. So Amarosa, shout out to you. You know I'm glad you're releasing. The tapes. Let me, uh, I think we have someone who wants to make a comment or has a question. Area code 717. You're on BTR News with Scotty Reed. Go ahead with your question or comment. This is Brother Davis, Brother Scotty. Greetings to you, Brother Davis. Man, I've been trying to connect, but listen, I, I had to call and comment. I was waiting to, to talk to see if I, is, is tomorrow night's show live or what? 
a Tando radio show is moving to a morning slot. Oh, okay. That sounds good. That sounds good. Okay, well, listen, keep me in the loop. But to get back to you, to Amarosa, we fail to realize that they're going to do everything they can to discredit the very woman they put in that position. So rather than judge Amarosa's intellectual level of making the decision to even record, because let's face it, everybody around him was recording, they want to pick on her, but yet everybody who's connected with him that has gotten a trail that led back to him has recorded him. So she actually hasn't done anything no one else has done. Exactly. But they will vilify her. Exactly. But you, you make a very good point, Brother Scotty. I just wanted to add that to you, man. And uh, I'll give you a call tomorrow morning, tomorrow during the day sometime. All right, Brother Davis. Thank you. All right, Pete. Yeah, and he's exactly right, you know. And I think Amarosa mentioned, mentioned that. Nobody was going after Access Hollywood or whatever that outlet was that recorded Donald Trump talking about, I can grab women by their private parts if you're a celebrity and they'll let you and all of that. They they came out during the campaign. Nobody said nothing back. Well, of course, the conservatives and Trump defenders was, was you know, uh, mad about it. But you didn't have these so-called supposed to be objective journalists who we just heard grilling Amarosa, they wasn't saying nothing. No, they were spreading the story, wasn't they? They were spreading the story. Oh, listen to Donald Trump. He doesn't like women. He said he's a serial sexual assaulter. He grabs women by their you-know-whats, by their private parts, by their vaginas, and what have you. But now here's Amarosa saying, hey, when during the campaign it came up that it was a tape out there of of Donald Trump using the N-word. And these people was talking about how do we spin it if the tape comes out? How do we spin this? How do we suppress it? You know, because we know Donald Trump had his lawyer pay Stormy Daniels, a porn star he slept with. Uh, I think they said $100,000 to keep her mouth shut. So that's what they were discussing. But now when Amarosa tells it that Donald Trump, there's a tape out there of him using the N-word and the campaign knew about it, oh, now all of a sudden Amarosa's credibility is being brought into question, even after they just heard and they played her tape, okay? They wasn't asking her questions about Donald Trump's character or the people's character on the tape. They wasn't talking about the ethics of covering up racism by a major political candidate. No, they grilling Amarosa. Why you do that, Amarosa? Why you, what kind of person are you that you will record uh, uh, people on the campaign? Man, get the heck out of here. I ain't falling for it. Shout out to Amarosa for playing the spook who sat by the door and exposing it. And I hope she got something even more powerful that she's going to come out with later. All right. Now, let me get to these uh, next couple of stories that I want to get to at the top of the hour. 
we will take a station identification break and a music break, and then we'll get to my main topic about these free speech absolutists who thinks that people have a right to say any and everything they want to under the guise of freedom speech. They are advocating for hate speech. And advocacy for hate speech is just as wrong as the hate speech itself. And let's stop acting like words don't have power. Let's not act like this media propaganda has not led to to some of the worst crimes against humanity. First comes the hate speech, then comes the hate crime. And that's what that's my main topic cuz I am bewildered by these so-called leftists, these so-called leftists who are telling us that we must be tolerant of racist hate, of religious bigotry, that people have a non-existent right to say these things on social media platforms. And, And then related to that is our reliance, our dependency, on big social media and these corporations like Google and YouTube to get our message out. Because that's the only reason they're defending Alex Jones is because they're saying, well, if, if, if they take down Alex Jones, they can come take me down next. That's because you depended on them to get your message out. If you depended on your enemies and you claim that these corporations are your enemies if you on the left, then what sense do it make for you to be dependent on them to get your message out? That's that's just crazy. It's illogical. And it don't make no sense when you should be building your own platforms and working with other platform creators to share traffic between each, uh, one another instead of relying on these corporations that you claim that you're against, that you speak out against their policies, their anti-humanistic policies and what have you, but you're depending on them to get your message out. You've already lost the war, and so you might well just shut it down right now. Just shut it down. Because you're telling me you don't have a voice unless they allow you to have a voice. So you've lost already. Just shut your stuff down and I'm also saying, if if you call yourself a friend and you're advocating for hate speech, you are no friend of mine. What kind of friend would be telling me that another person has a right to call me a nigger, to call me a saying nigger, or to suggest that I don't deserve to breathe or or anything targeting me? Remember, they said Dylan Roof was radicalized to kill those nine people in that church by what? What was he radicalized by? By media. By media. So, a couple more stories before, and if I have to go a little bit over, I will. Give me just a second. But I do have some other stories I think are very important. This next story has to do with technology. In a world first, two cars powered by hydrogen derived from ammonia, and I'm talking liquid ammonia, 
have hit the road in Queensland, Australia, and industry leaders say the breakthrough by the CSIRO. This is a government-funded research research organization, scientific research organization. So again, those people that always got something bad to say about socialism and all this and that, and and you know the private industry is the reason we have all capitalism is the reason we have all this innovation and what that's bull crap, man. I mean, a lot of the technology that we enjoy in the United States came out of NASA. Came out of NASA, right? Government agency, right? That created Tang and Velcro and other stuff. Well, same here in Australia. A federal agency um, came up with this breakthrough for the first ever hydrogen powered car derived from ammonia, all right, and they're saying Australia could become a renewable energy superpower because of the game-changing technology will allow the carbon-free fuel to be shipped safely anywhere in the world. So let's play this clip. Two cars that look like any other, but these have created history fueled by hydrogen that's stored and shipped in ammonia, then cracked and purified back into hydrogen. They're quiet and they emit nothing but water. The transfer is possible due to this revolutionary metal membrane technology, which took CSIRO scientists 10 years to develop. It's 100% selective, so we get a pure product, which is exactly what these cars need. Hydrogen is easy to produce in Australia through renewable energy sources like sunlight and wind. Now scientists have cracked the code on how to export it safely using ammonia. It's been hailed as a groundbreaking missing link in the export chain. It could potentially rival our current LNG export industry. So as of this year, Australia is the world's biggest natural gas exporter. Um, Hydrogen could be in the same position in a couple of decades. It's big, it's a game changer. It allows the uh, hydrogen to be transported to markets where there potentially was no opportunity there before. Toyota and Hyundai have come on board road testing the pure hydrogen supply. They can fill up in three minutes just like a normal car uh, and they've got 800 kilometres of range, just like driving a normal car, except these cars are zero emission vehicles. The hydrogen costs a little more than fuel but powers the car for twice as long. It's in Asia where the production of these cars is growing at a rapid rate. The South Korean government, for example, has just announced 16,000 new hydrogen-powered vehicles and it's building over 300 refuelling stations, all within five years. An industry lobby group with members like Caltex and Shell agrees carbon-free fuel is the future. So you will have your petrol, your diesel and your hydrogen fuel all sitting side by side. CSIRO scientists say Australia's ability to create an unlimited amount of hydrogen could fuel the nation's next export boom. Australia could certainly be a renewable energy export superpower. There's no doubt about that. These cars currently sell for between sixty dollars and $80,000, but the price is coming down fast. Lexi Hamilton-Smith, ABC News. Wow, I mean, that's big news right there. And that is a threat to the petrodollar, which we talk about. You know, the petrodollar, for those that don't know what the petrodollar is, the petrodollar 
it derives its name from the fact that all of your petrol producing, oil producing, your big oil producing countries like Venezuela, like um, uh, Saudi Arabia, like Iran, uh, like the United States, like Russia, um, it's all based on the dollar. They fought, remember that's why they started the Gulf War. That's why they really went after Saddam because he said he was no longer going to accept U.S. dollars for his oil that he put out on the market. That he was only going to take euros. That's why they took out Gaddafi. You know, well they took out Gaddafi because he was talking about the gold dinar. Now, do you think these hydrogen fueled cars are a threat to the petrodollar? Is it a threat to the oil industry? Absolutely. Because ammonia has hydrogen in it, along with some other gases. Ammonia is produced naturally. Do you know you can derive ammonia from urine? Okay? Could you imagine that? Okay? All of your, all of your, um, um, fuel is derived from a human or animal waste product, urine. Okay, you've ever been, I don't know if people have ever, and it, it's sad if you have, but I have been in a couple of old folks' homes with to visit somebody and then you'll pass a room and it has a very strong ammonia smell, smell like pee, that's the ammonia. When you say something smell like pee, that's the ammonia that you smelling. That pee produces, which you can derive hydrogen from. This is game changer. This is a game changer. And I'm surprised. I'm not really surprised because Australia is a quote unquote white dominated nation. These are white people. If this had been any other group of people or another non-white nation, I don't know. They might have sabotaged these people. They might have sabotaged them and, and, and prevented this. But this technology obviously is patent. So that means if it's got a patent that these other motor companies can get the license to produce these sort of vehicles. Okay? This is a game changer. This is truly great news and whether you believe in global warming or not you have to agree it's better to have zero emissions of carbon into the atmosphere than to have carbon uh, monoxide spewed into the atmosphere like the guy said the scientist said the, the waste product the byproduct from this process is CO2 H2O, water, water, okay? This is a game changer right here. Wow, that's some good news to report. Uh, let me see, a couple of more stories before I take a station identification break and then we come back, I'll get into the main story. Um, I wrote, I published a video on blacktalkradionetwork.com about Debbie Africa, who is the first member of the Move 9 to be freed after nearly 40 years 
behind bars. We recently, there was the anniversary of the bombing of the Move family compound in Philadelphia that killed a lot of people. Um, it was children in their house and the FBI uh, assisted the local police department, gave them some C4 and they dropped it on this house and it ended up uh, burning down 60 other homes in that black community. So, But Debbie Africa is the first member of Move 9, a group of political prisoners that were associated with John, the teachings of John Africa and the Move compound or the Move uh, family in Philadelphia. And she just got out. She just got out. So we want to welcome her to freedom. That's that video. You can see a video interview of her. I posted it to Black Talk Radio Network. Meet Debbie Africa, first member of Move 9 to be freed after nearly 40 years behind bars. And one more report before we go to our station identification break and music break. The U.S. continues to support terrorists as a matter of foreign policy. Now, this news has been out there since last week. I have not seen CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, just because I didn't see it doesn't mean they didn't do it. So if y'all saw something that I didn't see, then, you know, you saw something I didn't see. So I'm just going off of what I saw. And, you know, I'm a news junkie. I'm all, I follow all the big media outlets to see what kind of propaganda they putting out. So y'all may have heard about those 40 school children in that bus, that school bus, big yellow school bus that was bombed by the Saudis, by the house of Saud. Y'all know it as Saudi Arabia, one of the United States biggest ally, which they use to to sabotage the Venezuela uh, economy starting in 2014 by increasing the production of oil so that the oil prices would go so low and it would hurt Venezuela since that's how Venezuela was paying for its quote-unquote socialist programs for poor people was from their oil revenue. Well, yeah, this Saudi Arabia using American bombs killed 40 people in the United States. I mean, excuse me, in Yemen. And not only did they do that, but the U.S. Is government is working along with the Saudi government with Al-Qaeda in Yemen. Check out this report from Democracy Now! I want to turn to an explosive new Associated Press investigation that found the U.S.-backed Saudi-led coalition there has repeatedly cut secret deals with al-Qaeda in Yemen, even paying its fighters to retreat from towns or join the coalition. The AP investigation accuses the United States of being essentially aligned with al-Qaeda in the fight against Yemen's Houthi rebels, despite claiming to be fighting al-Qaeda in the region. For more, we're joined in Cairo, um, Egypt, by Maggie Michelle, one of the three reporters for the Associated Press um, uh, who broke this story, headlined, U.S. allies spin deals with al-Qaeda in war on rebels. Explain what you found, Maggie. Um, 
We worked on um, examining the Emirati campaign against terrorism in southern Yemen um, repeatedly over the past years since 2016. Emiratis, uh, along with the Pentagon, uh, declared victories after victories against Al-Qaeda, liberating cities uh, from the group um, without really telling us how this happened. We worked, we looked closely into different areas, basically Hadramaut, Abiyan, and Shabwa. And in, in the three uh, of these provinces, we found uh, through tribal mediators, officials, witnesses, residents, that there was no actual fight on the ground. And what happened is um, the cardinal militants pulled out days and months and weeks before the campaign started. They pulled out, leaving the city without any fight. And then the Emiratis deployed their forces and then declared victory. The Pentagon joins and says, we have helped and assisted the Emiratis uh, with a small force on the ground to defeat al-Qaeda. This is Sheikh Tariq al Fatali, an Abiyan tribal leader and mediator, speaking in a video that accompanies your Associated Press report. The Americans know everything and more about what we know. They knew about the mediation step by step, one by one, and they were turning a blind eye. Maggie Michelle, can you explain who he is and the significance of what he's saying? Tariq al Fadli is a very well known tribal leader in Yemen. He, in the past, uh, was uh, fighting next to Osama bin Laden in Afghanistan. He came, to he, he came back to Yemen and he, one of the Afghan Arab uh, fighters, recruited even by the government itself to fight the South in this fight between the North and the South. Um, he played different roles at the very end. So when we interviewed him, we found that he was in direct contact with the Americans, feeding them with information about the movement of al-Qaeda, about the deals that's going on. Um, this area in Abiyan is, has very active U.S. drone activity. I mean, the drones don't leave the sky. But on the days where Qaeda was leaving, there was no strikes. And that was the question we raised with the Sheikh Tarul Fadli, asking him, what do you think about it? And he said that this is not a surprise, the Americans know everything. And um, in addition to Tariq, there were uh, several other tribal mediators. We interviewed them, and one of them actually uh, hosted Qaeda leaders inside his farm, and he held like a farewell dinner before they left. The Washington Times reports Pentagon officials denied U.S.-supported allies bribed or recruited al-Qaeda members in Yemen. Pentagon spokesman Colonel Rob Manning said, quote, that is patently false. We do not pay al-Qaeda. We kill al-Qaeda. Maggie Michelle. Yes, I mean, this is the line of the uh, United States along with the Emiratis. Yesterday, also, the Emirati uh, officials held a press conference denying that uh, they had any agreements or deals with the Qaeda. But on the ground, we had so many witnesses and uh, people who were involved in these meetings, in including the tribal mediator who was involved in a meeting between the Emiratis and the Qaeda, where they agreed on paying money in order for the group to withdraw from Shabwa. And um, 
the denials don't really add, I mean, don't, don't give more information, just general denials. And can you, Maggie, respond to the killing that we were just talking about, the U.S.-backed Saudi bombing of this school bus? Forty schoolchildren killed. Now there are thousands of people going to funerals in Yemen, uh, 51 people overall killed. How does this fit into the picture that you have found in your investigation? What's very hard to determine in Yemen is what the children were doing. I mean, uh, we worked on covered Yemen since 2015. We know that the Saudi-led coalition has bombed civilian targets all the time, markets, hospitals, schools. This is not a surprise. But we also know that the Houthis are actively recruiting the children, and then they send them to the front lines. And the question marks here that are not answered yet, what were the children doing at the time? There are no schools right now in Yemen. There are no buses carrying children from one school to the house. This is a luxury. Um, the children were visiting a cemetery, and that's where they promote the whole notion of jihad and martyrdom. So, I mean, on one hand, the Saudi-led coalition is blamed for killing the civilians, and this have been ongoing without any, um, no question about it. But at the same time, we have to look at the other side of the picture and see what the Houthis were doing with the children. All right, I'm going to leave it there. And I'll say this before we go to our break. That was objective reporting on her part. That's what objective reporting looks like. She wasn't taking sides. She asked the question, why are the Houthis using child soldiers in addition to why is the Saudis using American bombs bombing children? Because if these are children, they're victims of both sides if they're being used. And it has long been U.S. policy to kill all males in these areas of 16 years old and up. That's been U.S. policy. That's been out there for a long time. And we know that the drone strikes have been in pack, whether we're talking Pakistan, whether we're talking about Afghanistan, we know the U.S. government, the CIA, has a policy of killing civilians just to take out one target. They don't care. They fire these drone missiles into open markets. They attack wedding parties and what have you. But that's what, you know, at least she was being objective. I really appreciate that. But then on the other side, though, the other side, if I'm being exterminated by a more powerful group, then it's all hands on deck. Okay? It's all hands on deck. I, I'll leave it at that. But she was being objective in her reporting, and we don't have enough of that. All right. So I'm going to take a station identification break and play a music track. And when we come back, I want to get into my main topic of why are leftists like Jimmy Dore continuing to advocate for people like Alex Jones's supposed right? Because he don't have no right on these platforms to spew hate. Nobody has that right. Okay. But why are they advocating for his so-called right to spread racism, 
religious bigotry, and xenophobia. I'm telling you, with friends like these, who in the hell needs enemies, okay? Is this what why they came up with the term frenemy or something? Because that's what they're acting like. I'm telling you, anybody who advocates for my enemy to be able to attack me in any manner is no friend of mine. You're listening to Black Talk Radio News on the Black Talk Radio Network. This program, BTR News, does have a regular live schedule now. We are on Mondays, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays at 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. The only reason I'm not doing Wednesday nights is because that's the night that I do New Abolitionist Radio with my abolitionist comrade, Max Partis. We'll be back on the other side. Make Black Talk Radio your choice for digital black radio. New black media for the new millennium. And welcome back to Black Talk Radio News. Scotty Reed in on this broadcast from behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. And I do see we have another caller on the board. I'm sorry I didn't catch y'all before the break. The other caller hung hung up. If you are still listening, please, by all means, give us a call. 704-802-5056. 704-802-5056. Hit star star that will show me on the board that you have something to contribute or something to ask, and I will come to you. Just watch your background noise. We do got a caller uh, from the 646 area code, 646. You have unmuted yourself. Welcome in to BTR News. What's on your mind? Peace, brother Scotty. This is Tag, and uh, definitely no no uh, apologies needed. On that, was just trying to figure out when, when you were looking to open up the call line. Yeah, greetings to you, my abolitionist comrade. What's on? What's up? What did you want to comment on, Tag? Well, uh, as as you might imagine, the abolition, abolition essentially, and uh, particularly around the question that you raised earlier on in the call, which. I greatly appreciate this article that Brother Max shared with you and that you shared because it speaks to this other side, you know, of the overall conversation around street families, particularly around Chicago, you know, that's been going on. And and to be, like, fully transparent about it, I, I, I found it quite troubling to hear and see, you know, um, heads, from our own community that I respect greatly, you know, um, taking taking this issue in certain lights that, from my perspective, don't take into account all of the various factors involved and, and the overarching history that brings street families, you know, to us that, you know, have sustained that question overall. And, and as you pointed out, the kinds of positive developments that get no kind of, you know, uh, corporate state media coverage because it's not in alignment with their, you know, quote-unquote master narrative, which is totally in support of the state-sanctioned narrative of street families as violent, terroristic, problematic, and, you know, readily enslavable, et cetera. 
Yeah, well, you know, I started this conversation last week, and, you know, we've had these people come at us for a very long time. Why don't black people care about black lives when you got these gangs killing each other and what have you? And as I mentioned, the campaign against violence in our communities have been going on for 20-something years. And there are those of us um, who have given their lives, like Fred Hampton in Chicago, who part of his part of his work was getting these street families to stop engaging in violence against one another with the community ending up being casualties of their wars against one another and to to teach them to become civic minded and what have you. And so, you know, that's where I'm coming from it. You know, I don't want to make excuses. I've been in a gang, all right? I've been around people who had no problem engaging in senseless violence without any kind of aim other than to just cause another casualty in in our community. But, you know, on the other side of it, when I was in a gang in Detroit, I was not shooting up the neighborhood and and what have you, even though I did share instance where I was walking with another gang member and he pulls out a gun and starts shooting at people standing out the boys club and, and I was not down with that, okay? But there was no outreach to us during that time of saying, why are y'all out here fighting each other? Don't y'all see how you're doing what the enemies of our communities want us to do, and that is to fight and kill each other. That is to, regardless of, we know that oftentimes people sell drugs as a crime of survival, and I, you know, see the medicinal qualities of of cannabis, so I'm not talking about people selling cannabis, but I'm talking about crack cocaine, I'm talking about heroin and whatnot that that the system is set up for us to engage in these things but nobody can make us do it and you know as young people whose brains aren't fully developed they're not considering the social political ramifications of behavior they're just reacting to the situation that has been set up but if we had true leadership reaching out and could could approach these families and get them to understand the reality of how they fit into this social construct, then we could have outcomes like we're seeing in this neighborhood of Chicago where I quoted the gang members saying, we didn't even know why we was at war with each other. Tag. And that would have been the late 70s, early 80s, right, that you're describing out in Detroit? Yes, it was in the, it was in, I left Detroit in 79 and was a gangbanger for about two years uh, before that, so 77 to 79. So, exactly to your point, you know, like, what's the context that we're talking about? We're talking about in the wake of the utter destruction of what's termed the Black Liberation Movement. Right. And all, all of the co-optation that occurred behind that, 
and the total diversion of all of that energy. You know, you mentioned Fred Hampton, prime example, one of our stellar examples as far as organizing, as far as connecting with the people, as far as, you know, his oratory. Another example that we could point toward on, on the West Coast would be one Bunchy Carter, right? And, and he was coming out of uh, the street family and leadership and became a leader within the Black Panther Party. And what happened? He's, he's set up by these same forces that set all of our sisters and brothers up and um, ends up being essentially assassinated, uh, you know, indirectly by the state. You know, right. um, which also led led to all sorts of other other destruction. So, you know, I, I just I, I really appreciate the the context that you brought to that discussion. Um, I, I I truly believe in the ability of text to help solidify certain questions like these. And so I would I would uh, definitely recommend uh, the book called Twilight by a sister by the name of Anna Devere Smith. And it's the uh, text form of a one-woman play that she did around the 92 uh, rebellion um, that, that occurred. And, and it's essentially her, after a great deal of research and um, oral histories, uh, playing the roles of various individuals who um, participated or were affected by um, th those uprisings that occurred uh, in in uh, in California, the the, the rebellion um, that that occurred out there in in '92, and uh, she she does a phenomenal job of of making sure that all of the different voices are heard. And one of those voices, I can't recall his last name, but uh, his first name, but his last name was Bay, and he was in a leadership position in a street family and said very clearly that there were plans that were enacted around a truce and those plans were completely subverted by the local slave patrollers out there in LA. And right. this, is, this is what happens time and time again. And it, it, it's the part of the conversation that the state corporate marriage of, of propaganda is, is never going to point toward because it, they, there's no there's no profit in it for them but I could say from where I am out here in New York that there is certainly there are certainly developments from that standpoint and have been for as long as I can remember and as recently as I can point toward where heads coming out of street families involved in street family activity are making sure to organize in such a way as to support the community in totally positive ways that is never it's just it just doesn't get out there you know what they want is what's the term if it bleeds it leads right that's that's all that they want right 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 and that's why we have set up uh black talk radio network so that we can be the media that we want to see so i want to thank you for that tag um also comes to mind tukey williams the founder of the Crips, which was set up originally by Tukey Williams as a civic-minded street family. And Tukey Williams, of course, was executed on a wrongful conviction by the state of California. 
Um, somebody earlier I saw made the comment about Tupac Shakur working with street families to stop the violence and to get them to become assets to the community. Y'all can check out John Potash's book, The FBI War, um, The FBI War Against Tupac Shakur and Leftists is the way I remember that title, but just, just, uh, the FBI war against Tupac Shakur should come up if you Google that along with John Potash's name. And there was someone else that comes to mind, but I can't remember them right now. So, but tag hit it on the nail. When you destroy the Black Panther Party, when you destroy other liberation-minded organizations and set them up, assassinated them, threw them in prison, we just got Debbie Africa out of prison, then you knew what you were doing. You didn't want any stabilizing forces for good in the community. We do have another caller uh, from the same area. And if I need to go a little over to cover my main topic, which I don't need a whole lot of time, I just want to share a couple of articles and ideals with you, but certainly y'all can um, chime back in, 704-802-5056. Um, we do have Brother Ross on the line. What's going on with you, Ross? Thank you for calling in to BTR News. What topic did you want to make a comment on? Peace, brother Scotty. Um, peace to tag two. Brilliant addition to the conversation. And um, yeah, I was I wanted to speak on exactly what Tag did. He actually said something that I was going to say. Um, in regards to how the uh, local law enforcement destroyed the uh, peace treaty on the West Coast, and how they did it was they basically arrested different gang members from rival sets. Oh, and oh yeah, Ross, were, Ross. Hmm? I forgot to add this. This is what I couldn't remember. That there was an activist working in LA that said that them undercover cops would steal cars from one gang and then do a drive by on the other gang to make them think that, you know, that, that their rivals just killed one of them and it was police. Absolutely. And, and they also would arrest certain gang members. And while they, their car was impounded, they would take it from the lot and do the same thing. And I was thinking that is something that should be a, a basic prerequisite is the education of these uh, former street family members about how the, the machinations of the system work. So if something happens and it looks like that truce is going to break down, that they go back to each other and talk it out. Or Ross, or Ross, or mm-hmm. Ross, as I propose maybe we need an arbitration organization that they go to to settle these disputes, just like you have arbitrators between mm-hmm. nations and trade disputes, just like yeah. you have arbitrators when a employee goes to sue its employer, you have arbitration. Right. Same same principle can work in our communities. Yeah, the, the main thing, though, is just to, I agree with you emphatically, I was just saying the main thing too is that if there is ever a time where there's a breakdown in the uh, situation that these former gang members need to be aware that there there could be a a, a puppet master behind that happening and to take preemptive action to take a peaceful approach if something like that was to happen 
rather than just assuming, oh, it's on again. Because exactly what they did on the West Coast, they did with the US organization and the Black Panthers. They were sending the US organization threatening letters that the FBI wrote, and they were sending the Black Panthers threatening Black Panthers threatening letters from the US organization that the FBI wrote, and they ended up killing each other as well. But it started even even during the liberation movement. You had these sorts of struggles between different groups that was again orchestrated by, uh, you know, the, the 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 system of white supremacy. So I just think that that is something that we should really focus on in regards to like when these situations happen. I'm ecstatic that it did happen. Hopefully, it does spread. And I think you're right about an arbitration group. But I think that that is that history. Of, of these things being destroyed by outsiders should be, should be made emphatically clear. You know, I've always brought up my favorite African proverb, when there are no enemies within, enemies without can do very little harm. And that is the approach we have to take with these situations. We have to make sure that no one else can create enemies within where there, were, where there was none so that these things don't break down and it goes back to what it used to be. Um, another another um, good documentary, too, is called Bastards of the Party by uh, Clebone Sloan, and it deals with the history of the Black Panthers on the West Coast and the origins of the Crips and the Bloods, like you were saying. Basically, um, originally they were fighting white supremacists to go to school. All of those gangs started off as just clicks of black children that had to fight white gangs on a daily basis just to get an education. And over time, there was white flight. Those gangs left the, the Watts and all of, you know, Compton, all of that was white originally before those black people, um, you know, came during the Great Migration and took over. So once the white flight took place, the black gangs had nobody else to fight anymore, so they started fighting each other. So this is all information that I think we need to share so that they understand that, you know, there is a possibility of things breaking down, but understand that when it comes to us as a people doing positive things with each other and trying to uplift our community, that it's usually a white hand behind the breakdown. So let's not be rash, let's not be... Um, quick to grab the guns, but let's actually find out what's happening rather than just making moves, which is what has happened in the past. Everybody was just making moves based on false information that was never really vetted, and they were young. You know, every the Panthers were very young. All these people were young people, so I'm not saying, you know, that I'm not blaming them for anything because when I was young, I ran the streets too, and I did a lot of crazy things in my community that I shouldn't have done as well. So, you know, I understand that, but it's just something now that we know that there's a running, living history of this sort of stuff, that when we have these um, gang situations that become peaceful, we need to educate them about that and make sure that they have these arbitrators and if something looks like it's breaking down, they go right to the arbitrators and say, look, this is happening, we need to get back to the roundtable and have a discussion so you can figure out what it is and make sure that it's, you know, it's not something um, that's being facilitated by outside forces. So with that being said, I will mute myself and let you continue the show. I just wanted to chime in on that. And, and it, like you said, big up to Amarosa. Um, I'm glad she did it with the Trump organization. If that was Hillary Clinton, they would have found a way to kill her. They would have found a way to kill her, and that would have just been that. They'd have found them tapes, and that would have been that. They got, like, the, the Clintons got over 50 deaths on their hands that they have never been prosecuted for. All of them are directly connected to the Clintons. And I think if this was a situation where the Clintons were in office and she did that, it would have been a different situation. So I'm glad, and I hope more, more, more is to come behind what she started, like you said. Peace, and I'll meet myself. All right. Thank you. Um, thank you, Ross. And, and also, you know, on the Amarosa piece again, I played a clip from mainstream media where they were antagonizing her 
Okay. Um, they didn't do Hillary Clinton like that when she came out with her non-credible book. They wasn't questioning her credibility. And I think this has to do with racism. I could be wrong, but I think Omarosa is the wrong skin color because I don't see why media uh, outlet that pretends that it's appalled at the things that the Trump administration and Trump himself does and says will be so antagonistic towards Omarosa. I think it has to do with her skin color. Uh, Tag, you wanted to chime back in? Tag, you there? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That, okay. All right. Pardon that. Pardon that delay. I, I just needed to unmute. But um, a, a couple, a couple things, because I, I greatly appreciate what what Brother Raj just outlined, and I wanted to just kind of underline the the bachelors of the party work. Uh, totally agreed that that's an important documentary, as well as uh, the John Potash work that you pointed toward. That's an extremely that's one of the most important uh, books I would say that I've read in recent years for for so many reasons, and it it uh, to my knowledge it seems to be kind of um, under appreciated or or underrated as far as you know books about things that we should pay attention to or focus on um, because it's very very well researched and it goes into a lot of these connections, including the connection you know, which you pointed toward uh, and has been discussed during this conversation between the Panthers and these street families and, you know, how how that's an ongoing lineage and very, you know, rife with all sorts of problems. Just like, I mean, it's the Black Panther Party, which was very much, you know, front and center with its politics and, you know, what it was, its aims were, was approached so violently, so brutally, you know, we can, we can, it, it's only logical that less uh, sophisticated organizational structures, you could say, although, you know, um, in some instances, they're comparable. I mean, I've, I've, I've spoken to elders uh, who I greatly respect, who have pointed toward the viability of some of the organizational structures of these street families out here, even compared to, you know, some of the more um, overtly political organizations. So, I mean, it, it's it's an important it's important history to to defend and and not to allow to just be run through the mud as if this is just nothing but but you know gratuitous violence. It it, it certainly isn't. But um, I, I I just wanted to you mentioned the arbitration question and I think that's extremely important. And so um, I just wanted to point toward at least local to here in the in the New York area, um, you know, there's been for a few years now, uh, to my knowledge, a very um, purposeful pushback against this uh, this process of so-called gang rape, where they're you know mass enslaving you know whole communities essentially or or whole swaths of communities. Um, and you know you've covered it in depth, and 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 that's greatly appreciated. And so um, you know one one uh, group that has been pushing back against that is called Stop the Raids. And uh, you know just just to say if if anyone is out there in the New York area that would like to help to build against this onslaught 
um, Stop the Rave NYC is definitely a place to to go with that. And you know, any other such groupings that are going on throughout the country or or wherever, um, certainly you know um, th- would greatly appreciate an awareness of said groups and and trying to connect up and share strategies and best practices, et cetera, because, you know, it's not just happening in New York, of course, and um, it's, it, 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 they, they don't seem to show any plans of letting up with, with, with this onslaught, and, and they are able to, you know, uh, wield the propaganda machine against us in such a way as to make street families seem whole cloth to be just totally negative and, you know, again, just subject to enslavement. And then just um, very quickly, since you mentioned the question of the uh, Yemeni school bus, uh, it's just to say, I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, uh, so quote-unquote Sister Hillary um, right there, you know, uh, her, her fingerprint is, is certainly on that. If we, if we remember right. what we, we what, you know, what we were shown through the, through the Podesta files and, and right. these WikiLeaks, right? You know, she's she's totally up on that. And this kind of child exploitation, child, you know, uh, violence is part and parcel to the U.S. project. So, um, to appreciate you you highlighting that as well. Right, right. And so we also tag just reminded me um, the Obama administration with Hillary Clinton running point through the State Department. They use, quote unquote, these radical Islamic terrorist groups to overthrow Gaddafi in Libya. And the evidence of that is look who's running Libya right now. You know, really no one's running it because it's been partitioned off by those groups they use to overthrow Pan-Africanist Muammar Gaddafi. All right, let me jump to my main thought for today and you know thank you all for those who called in and I will uh, give time if anybody wants to comment on my main thought today but we got these leftists out here and some of them are black some of them you would think would be more educated to what Malcolm X talked about when he talked about the power of media And he said that media is the most powerful entity on the face of the planet. It can make the innocent look guilty and the guilty look innocent. And that's power. It controls the minds of the masses. So if you understand the power of media, and if you understand we're in a war, we're in a war. You can call it an ideological war. You can call it a societal war, a battle of ideals or whatever. But you tell me what sense do it make in any war, in any kind of context for me to be advocating for my enemy to continue or maintain his operational ability to produce propaganda against me. That's ludicrous. That's insane. That violates (laughs) common sense. If anything, I'll be looking to take my enemy down 
by any means necessary. And these very same people, excuse me, <laughs> these very same people say that these corporate social media platforms are working with our governmental enemies and whether we're talking about the United States government whatever regime that is not practicing justice but practicing slavery and white supremacy or if we're talking about Israel if we're talking about Saudi Arabia or what what in your mind makes you think that you should be advocating for a person like Alex Jones to be given a voice on that platform. This is this is like some Sun Tzu type stuff. This is some art of war type stuff where you get your enemy, aka Mark Zuckerberg, to take down your other enemy, aka Alex Jones. That's some Sun Tzu type stuff right there. You know what I'm saying? That's some art of war tactics right there. And let's not forget, you know, it was brought to my attention or remembrance last week when Otis shared an article in BTR Community that said the organization PRI, I think that's correct, was able to obtain Facebook's internal documents on on their uh, so-called hate speech policy where they allowed and coddled right-wing white males. They was banning or suspending or taking down the posts of everybody else and including the woman who went on a road trip and documented her racism on Facebook and then they suspended her for, for that Okay, so now finally they take down Alex Jones after many, 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 many complaints and flagging of his content containing hate speech. But now here you come saying, well, I think Alex Jones ought to have a right to these platforms to be able to say whatever the hell he want to say. Yeah, you think that Alex Jones should have a right to get on Facebook or to get on YouTube and demonize Colin Kaepernick and tell his masses of followers that this ain't about free speech. Taking a knee during the slavers anthem, oh, I mean the national anthem, has nothing to do with free speech. And F, Colin Kaepernick was the title of one of their videos telling you. I shared it with you last week. I didn't play the video, but I shared the post from InfoWars with you last week. Do you think Alex Jones is on Twitter right now, which is one of the few platforms that did not ban him? You think Alex Jones is on Twitter right now saying that those players who took a knee during the playing of the national anthem during these NFL preseason games and they have a right to do that because this is America and we appreciate free speech even a speech we don't agree with. Is Alex Jones on Twitter right now defending that and saying NFL y'all did Colin Kaepernick wrong what he did embodies American principles and values. No he's not. 
because that's not American principles and values. American principles are built on the subjugation and oppression of non-white people and anyone who would stand against the status quo. Now, I can understand if Alex Jones, even though I don't agree with with 99% of what he says and only leave 1% because even a broken clock is right twice a day, as they say, is telling me the truth. But if he was not engaging in dehumanizing rhetoric against gays, against Muslims, against immigrants, from Muslim speaking nations or any Muslim nation for that matter or any nation because he's against Muslims alright if he was not speaking out against protesters against slave catcher violence I mean if he wasn't engaged in any of that dehumanizing language and he was adhering to the terms of service then you could say I think it was wrong for him to be banned because he didn't violate the terms of service. He wasn't engaged in hate speech. He wasn't bullying people. He wasn't using the platform to bully people like he was using, using it to bully these students at these different high schools that suffered gun violence. He, he's bullying children. Now, if he wasn't doing all of that, then yes, you would be correct to say, look, he didn't do any of that that you say violates your terms of service. So I think that you were wrong in banning him. But the fact of the matter is he did violate their so-called terms of service and they gave him a pass for all these years. And for you, people like you, Jimmy Dore, and anybody else on the so-called left, to pretend like he's some kind of victim is quite sickening to me. You're acting like he's innocent. And then people want to bring up the Nazi party with me today when I already brought up the Nazi party and pointing to Joseph Goebbels in the Nazis propaganda machine. You know, before they started rounding up gypsies, before they, I'm speaking Nazi Germany, before they started rounding up gypsies, before they started rounding up communists, people who, who are were in the Communist Party, before they started rounding up Jews, before they started rounding up uh, people with disabilities, before they started targeting homosexuals, you know what they did? They used their media propaganda to condition the public to accept it. So if you're advocating for people like Alex Jones, you're advocating for the propaganda machine of Joseph Goebbels, okay? The Nazi minister of information and propaganda. How can you claim to me that you want to create a better society where we have liberty and justice for all and slavery for no one but you allow but you argue for 
this propaganda to be given a place in society. How do you think these individuals are radicalized if not through this type of media? Okay? How do you think? We've seen it throughout the history of the United States. How many newspapers propagandize the American public to accept the extermination and land theft of Native Americans or American Indians, to accept the enslavement and brutalization and murder of African-descendant people. The media condition the public, oh, they're not human. We're going to talk about this fake science called phrenology to show you they aren't human. Here's this person's work. Here's that person's work. These black people don't got a soul. So they're just animals and they're beasts of burden. And we're going to use propaganda to get the American public to accept their, that mistreatment. See, either you understand we're in a war or you don't understand. And if you a friend to hate speech, you are no friend of mine or my people. You're, you're not because you're advocating for this propaganda to go out over the airways. So, you know, I did my little show last week where I pointed out the individuals that was advocating for Alex Jones' non-existent right because the First Amendment don't apply to private businesses. It only applies to the U.S. government making laws to censor speech which they do, which they do. Well, I'm not going to say they make laws, but they violate the laws and they do suppress speech with cooperation from the mainstream media, okay? But Facebook ain't the U.S. government. They may work like they are an agency of the U.S. government partnering with local police and intelligence agencies and what have you. They work with Zionist, racist governments, apartheid nations like Israel and, and purging Facebook of Palestinian activists and their advocates. Okay, this was going on, been going on since 2008 when Facebook was founded by the Zionist Mark Zuckerberg. So your BS argument that if we tolerate it happening to Alex Jones, it's going to happen to us. It's being happening to us. And it's not like we were the ones engaging in, in, in conspiracy theories to demonize this group or that group, lacking any evidence whatsoever. So it's not like we were the ones using the dehumanizing language but we were describing dehumanizing treatment and got banned. So your argument that they're going to come after us after Alex Jones is BS. I surely didn't hear Alex Jones saying, well, you know what? We need to stand up for Palestinian activists on Facebook. We need to stand up for black anti-racist activists on Facebook who have been suspended. I didn't hear Alex Jones saying none of that. Because he understands this is warfare. He's bringing the gun 
and you're bringing a pen, an ink pen? Is that what you're telling me? It makes no logical sense under any circumstance to advocate for your enemy. You're supposed to be destroying your enemy by any means necessary. That includes hacking. I would love to see Anonymous or any other group of hackers take down Infowars.com to give these headaches to PrisonPlanet.com because they ain't talking about prison slavery on Prison Planet, another media property owned by Alex Jones. No. They talking about they're supporting prison slavery for non-white people. Okay, it makes no sense. So Jimmy Dore was at it again today. And I presented the arguments I'm presenting to you. He wouldn't respond to me directly, but the little minions that was falling for his crap who were in a debate with me, oh, he liked their post. Well, let me tell you this, Jimmy Dore, if you listening, if you feel so sorry and you feel so strongly about free speech, why don't you make Alex Jones part of your permanent panel? Why don't you have him sitting right there in between Steph and Rob Placone and let him chime in on the topics that you're discussing today on your YouTube channel? Okay, because I certainly don't see you giving voice to right-wingers on your platform. Okay, I ain't talking about bringing somebody on to debate them. I ain't talking about bringing on a guest to let them hang themselves. I'm not talking about that. I ain't talking about me bringing on somebody and then obliterating their argument. That ain't what I'm talking about. no. Give him a voice on your platform if you feel so badly for him that he been kicked off. His YouTube channel has been disbanded. Let Alex Jones be part of the Jimmy Dore show uh, panel. If you won't do that, then don't tell me, talk to me about censorship. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I practice censorship. There's no way in in on God's green earth that I would allow my enemy a voice on Black Talk Radio Network. There's no way in 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 this universe that I would be distributing the content content of my enemies. Why would I do that? It makes no sense. And I am going to celebrate when my enemy operational ability is destroyed or suffers a setback or is hindered. That's what we do in war, okay? We don't sit up here and advocate for our enemies to spew propaganda against us. And we certainly don't advocate for them to target vulnerable people and populations with messages of hate that have led to real-world consequences for those victims. It just makes no sense. So any progressive, 
any left-wing radical that's out there advocating for Alex Jones, they're not your friends, okay? They're not your friends because your friend would never do that to you. No, a friend would not advocate for your enemy under any circumstance. Now, I'm going to pull up the article. This is what Jimmy Dore tweeted out today that I responded to. Why are you defending Alex Jones? He asked sarcastically. I'm, I'm, I'm adding the commentary. It's a sarcastic question. Why are you defending Alex Jones? Oh, wait. Then he shares somebody else's Facebook post, excuse me, their Twitter post, talking about Facebook closing down Telesur English page. And it came days after it did the same to a VE analysis page without explanation. The latest outgrowth of F of Facebook's Orwellian partnership with the Atlantic Council. Okay? Meaning he's working with a NATO, a shadow government agency. All right? Zuckerberg is, and he's working with Israel too. And he's working with the United States too. And he's working with slave catchers too. But this is apples and oranges. I don't know how many of y'all consume the media put out by Telesur English, but I share the post of theirs announcing the release of freedom fighter Robert Seth Hayes last week. They reported on that. And they also reported that he is one of many U.S. political prisoners from the Black Liberation Movement. All right? Telesur does not engage in producing hate-filled, anti-humanistic rhetoric towards any group, all right? Telesur is the state arm of a state media arm of the Venezuelan government, a government who has been nothing but a friend to the new abolitionist movement and oppressed people here in the United States. As I reported years ago, Venezuela confronted the United States on the world stage over the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that says they are allowed to practice slavery as long as they convict a victim of a crime. Venezuela did that, okay? Venezuela isn't the one who is demonizing and making up stories about gun shootings being hoaxes or government false flags. Telesur is not going after students using dehumanizing language to get to get their followers to bully and attack these activists. It doesn't matter if I agree with their gun gun uh, uh, restriction advocacy or not. I'm not going to bully these children like Alex Jones. Tell a sir I ain't doing that. All right? So, you're talking apples and oranges. Tell a sir is not InfoWars. Tell a sir does not produce the same sort of hate-filled fake media 
that Alex Jones produces. So you it, bringing up Taylor Sir getting suspended, and I would say days after they published an article about the release of a Black Panther Party freedom fighter, a Black Liberation Army freedom fighter, and advocating for the release of other U.S.-held political prisoners. Maybe that's the reason they got banned and kicked off of Facebook. Okay? So you're talking apples and oranges, Jimmy Dore. Tell us, sir, ain't InfoWars. So your argument is without merit. It is without substance. I am not a free speech absolutist. In fact, I wrote an article in 2015 when Tim Wise, who I don't know because I don't, where I do subscribe to a bunch of the mainstream media, social media outlets so I can be informed about what propaganda they putting out. But I haven't seen Tim Wise in the media. Y'all remember Tim Wise, right? The white male who gets paid to go around and give lectures about racism and mainly his audience is black people. Like I need some white male teaching me about racism or give me like, I'm a pay some white male to talk about, to listen to him talk about racism. I live it every day. I report on it on a daily basis. I darn sure don't need to be giving my money to Tim Wise to hear about racism. But Tim Wise, do y'all remember Charlie Hebdo? Y'all remember that newspaper in France that was publishing cartoons and racist cartoons at that? Because, you know, I, in my article, I used them juxtaposing a black woman who worked in the French government and putting her face, her head on a monkey's body. These are the ones that was producing cartoons that would be offensive to Muslims by depicting Allah, not Allah, the Prophet Muhammad in very vulgar cartoons. And then, and I'm not justifying it, and I'm not saying the reaction was correct, but allegedly, allegedly, because I don't know for sure, some Muslims ran up in that publication and shot up those people for committing in their culture a, one, a capital crime. Again, I'm, I don't agree with it. But Charlie Hedo was not blameless. And they certainly weren't innocent. And they certainly were practicing bigotry against Muslim and Muslims and racism against black people. And then, you know, Tim Wise was on this panel and he was up there talking about, I suppose, no, he made it a Facebook post. Matter of fact, he made it a Facebook post. He said, I suppose that people have a right to stand in the town square and yell nigger at people. 
This was in 2015. Was Tim Wise banned for advocating for people to be called niggers? No, he wasn't banned. In fact, he turned his anger when I responded to that nonsense towards Black Talk Radio and started slandering me and other platforms on Twitter. I documented it and made a video about it. But I wrote an article about it, and even Soledad O'Brien agreed with Tim Wise on this First Amendment free speech absolutism, which it don't exist. First Amendment ain't got nothing to do with a person calling another person a derogatory name. That's not why the First Amendment was passed. Has to do with Congress making laws restricting the speech of citizens or their practice of religion. Congress, not Black Talk Radio. Black Talk Radio can restrict any language it wants to restrict because I'm not the government. And I am not bound by anything or anyone to give racist or anti-black people a platform or a voice on our platform. So I'm going to share with you my article and I'll make my final thoughts. I think I made myself clear where I stand, but I'm going to share my article with you. I wrote about this in 2015 and if anybody wants to comment, go ahead and unmute yourself if you have any comments or questions and you don't even have to agree with me. Present a counter argument and then I will counter your argument. Okay? So agreement isn't necessary. So the telephone number 704-802-5056 hit star star to unmute yourself. Just watch background noise. But I'm going to read this article that I wrote in 2015 titled Tim Y Supposes Cause suppose this mean I don't know. If you don't know, then why you saying people got a right to yell nigger in the streets, Tim Wise? Cause you don't know. So why are you saying that? Are you practicing racism? So-called anti-racist lecturer? Tim Wise supposes he has a right to yell nigger in the streets. Soledad O'Brien agrees. The deadly attack on the French satirical newspaper Charlie Hebdo has spurned a seemingly global movement to reaffirm the rights of primarily white people to practice racism and religious bigotry under the umbrella of freedom of speech. It would be incorrect to not mention the fact that countries in Europe, including France, have enacted hate crimes legislation that specifically protects one religious group, Jews. The failure to extend the same hate speech protections to other groups in their societies indicates that they are practicing racism, religious bigotry, and discrimination as a matter of law. However, it is in the context of these conversations around so-called free speech rights that I would like to address an assertion made by widely known anti-racist, 
I should have put supposed anti-racist lecturer Tim Wise. Tim Wise, a white American, stated that people have a right, he supposes, to hurl racial slurs at people on the public street and not suffer any violent repercussions for such a hostile act towards other human beings. Make no mistake, the lack of fear of repercussions is the primary reason white people engage in racism, terrorism, and other heinous crimes. Here's the quote from Tim Wise. So uh, he even tried to accuse me of misquoting him. I ain't misquote you. I wrote the whole quote down and then linked to your Facebook post. Liar. Man, I'm going at this like this was 2015 and he was still on Twitter bad-mouthing our reputation, Black Talk Radio. This is Tim Wise. This is what he said. I believe it is possible to agree that free speech is an essential value and that journalists should have the right to say what they want even to offend others without then proceeding to act as though every act of speech just because people have a right to it is therefore worth defending as to its substance and that free speech protects one from being critiqued for things one says. What I mean is this. I have a right, I suppose, to stand in the middle of Times Square and shout racial or religious slurs. And I surely should be able to do that without fear of being murdered for it. That's Tim Wise, that I can get out here or anyone can get out here and run up on Scotty Reed with his grandsons and yell, nigger, in his face and in their faces and 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 all kind of other dehumanizing language and Scotty Reed shouldn't punch that bastard in the mouth. I'm here to tell you, you can run up on me if you want to. I'm going to engage in the doctrine of preemptive strike, which I mentioned in this article. When I took the Twitter to report on Tim Wise's assertion that he supposes he has a right to racially terrorize people with his words. Surprisingly, the well-known journalist Soledad O'Brien said that Mr. Wise is correct. I also found that the ACLU has taken this same position as a matter of protected speech and fought against colleges and universities that prohibit such racist acts as a matter of policy because your speech is an act. If your speech is racism, it's a racist act. However, because Tim Wise is a white man, and the laws in the United States are written by white men and interpreted by mostly white men, it is likely that a white male judge would rule that it would not be reasonable for a black person to react violently towards a racist white person calling them a nigger. I suspect that in the context of white supremacy, Tim Wise is correct in that he is a white man with white privilege and therefore has a right to hurl racist slurs at victims and they should not have the right to physically resist threatening language. White supremacy aside, as a matter of principle, I wholeheartedly disagree with both Mr. Wise's assertion that while he 
would never do it and would find it offensive, he has a right to hurl racist, racial slurs at unsuspecting people on the street and that if he did so, he does not deserve to be murdered for such an act of terrorism. You know, self-defense ain't, ain't murder, Tim Wise. Let me start deconstructing this passage from the post that otherwise was logical and I agree with. A white person hurling, hurling racial slurs in a historical context of racism and white supremacy in America is a form of terrorism, usually followed by actual violence. As I stated earlier, hate crime, hate speech leads to hate crimes. Unfortunately, this still occurs to this day. Take for an example the iconic pictures from the days of early school day desegregation of black teens and college students surrounded by mobs of white supremacists hurling racial slurs at those young people. If not for the National Guard's protection, I think it would be hard to argue that those white people would not have attacked those children and possibly beat them to death. In the 1970s, as a preteen adolescent in Detroit, walking the streets with two of my male cousins who were teenagers, I had one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. I did not feel that kind of fear when I was in a war zone during the Gulf War. We made the mistake of taking a wrong turn into a predominantly white neighborhood about an hour earlier, I had picked up a box containing a baseball cap lying in the street and put the cap on. As we continued to walk, we came across a little league baseball team practicing at school. These play, the players started pointing at me and accused me of stealing one of their baseball caps. The entire team, including the adult coaches, called us nigger thieves and proceeded to chase us, some with baseball bats in their hands. We literally had to run for our lives and were fortunate enough to get away from that racist mob. From that point on, I associated the word nigger with the threat of imminent violence. While I'm not asserting that anyone should be murdered for hurling racial slurs at me, I am asserting that I have a human right to preemptively strike a person who is assaulting and battering me with racial slurs. If I feel threatened and in fear for my life, I have a human right to stand my ground and take whatever action I deem necessary to preserve my life. Any person who will commit the hostile act of hurling racial slurs at a person to intimidate and terrorize them will also have no problem committing acts of violence, and I should assume that is their intent. Ever since that sunny day in Detroit when my life was threatened by a mob of white people hurling racial slurs, I adopted the policy of preemptive strike. I'm going to jump ahead. In terms of whether or not Tim Wise has a legal protection under the U.S. Constitution to hurl racial slurs at people on the street, as he suggests, we should look at prohibited speech called fighting words. U.S. federal courts have ruled in the past that the First Amendment does not protect speech that is likely to incite violence. Judges have determined that fighting words do not contribute to democratic discourse and that society has a collective interest in reducing violence. The, and I cite the names of the name of the case, 
Chaplinsky versus the state of New Hampshire. I give the facts of the case uh, of the state of the case. I'm sorry, and I ask a question: Does the application of the statute violate? No, that's the question they're asking. I just copied it from the uh, source where I got the case information. So this is. I also brought up bullying. I'm gonna jump ahead, y'all. I didn't, I didn't realize I had a lot to say about this, and it's a very long article, which I put back into circulation today. All right, so let me jump to cyberbullying, right? Because there are laws against cyberbullying, right? We want to tell these children it's not cool to bully other people, right? But we're going to get on Facebook and advocate for one of the biggest bullies on the Internet to bully children. Again, I don't think these people really thought this through that's advocating for Alex Jones. But under the under the heading cyberbullying, this is what I wrote. We can look at recent laws that prohibit speech to protect students from cyberbullying that lend to the confusion and inconsistency surrounding free speech protections in the United States. Several states have enacted laws and or policies against cyberbullying, as have school districts across the nation. Jimmy Dore, why don't you get on Facebook or Twitter or on your YouTube channel and tell these states that they wrong for passing laws or enacting policies against cyberbullying, Jimmy Dore, because you're supposed to be a free speech advocate, advocate for the right for a bully to bully children. There are no federal laws against cyberbullying, and I have yet to find a case challenging those laws. However, the federal government does encourage reporting instances of bullying to its civil rights division in the Justice Department when that bullying meets certain criteria, including racially based bullying. And I could have added religiously based bullying, or I could have added national origin based bullying because there are federal laws outlawing employment discrimination on those protected categories. Okay? So, Bullying is a violation of people's civil rights. All right? Now, I do note that there is no federal law that, oh, I, I actually uh, posted an excerpt from www.stopbullying.gov. That's a government you know, a website telling people to stop bullying people. All right? And that includes... Uh, internet bullying, social media harassment. This is what was written on stopbullying.gov. There is no federal law that specifically applies to bullying. In some cases, when bullying is based on race, color, national origin, sex, disability, or religion, bullying overlaps with harassment and schools are legally obligated to address it. Read more about when bullying overlaps with harassment and how to report it to the U.S. Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights 
in then U.S. Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division. They're telling you bullying is a crime. What is Alex Jones doing if not bullying the, these various groups and causing others to bully these same groups? This is the last thing I'm going to share with y'all because I, 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 I wrote a lot because I wanted to be detailed. I wanted people to know I just didn't get in my feelings and write an article without doing research. I did plenty of research. It took me probably a week to put this article together. Original intent of freedom of speech or of the press. The conversation around the publication Charlie Hebdo and the hate speech it publishes against Muslims and racial minorities in France is being framed around freedom of the press. In the United States, the framers did not have racist characters or black people, nor have characters of religious figures, especially those that Charlie Hebdo promotes that incited violence against their employees and publishers in mind when they wrote the Bill of Rights. Suppose the intent of the framers of the U.S. Constitution was based on justice and not white supremacy. What was the intent in writing the First Amendment? And this is what the First Amendment says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people to peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Where in that does that give protection to religiously or racially bias hate speech of one citizen against another it doesn't so your first amendment speech argument is based on a fallacy a non-existent right that you suppose Alex Jones has that he doesn't have now I wrote a lot more I posted a link to this article in btrcommunity.com. If you're on Black Talk Radio Network, listening to the podcast of today's broadcast, I link to my public post on btrcommunity.com. That way you can pull this article up or you can just do a Google uh, a Black Talk Radio search on our platform on Tim Wise's name and this will come up. But this is this is the last thing I, I will say. And I will open up the phone lines if anybody has any question or comment. Because I'm way overdue. I'm like 30 minutes past my two hours I plan on doing. But, you know, we just flow with however the program flows. But, so if you got a comment, get ready to chime in. But I'm going to leave you with this, though. Jimmy Dore... And all these defenders of Alex Jones, the whole premise of their advocacy for hate speech is that they could just say anything is hate speech and ban us and take our YouTube channel down or suspend our Facebook pages and, and accounts and what have you. 
Well, the best way to prevent against that is to not violate their terms of service. Is that what you engage in? And don't give me this this nonsense about anything can be interpreted as hate speech. No, the hell it can't. And there, what you're saying is they'll make an excuse. Well, they already been doing that. So ain't nothing new. You're afraid it's already happening. But this is what really points, points out to me is that you are dependent on Mark Zuckerberg to reach an audience. You are dependent on Facebook, Twitter to send ideological messages out to the masses. You are dependent on Google to allow you to use YouTube in order to produce and disseminate your videos. Now, these leftists, they tell you and, and they they point out correct they when they criticize these corporations, most of the criticism I have seen has been absolutely based on accurate information. Now, and these very people have trashed Google and have trashed YouTube and have trashed Mark Zuckerberg. But now you telling me that you dependent on the very people you trash to get your message out. What kind of freaking media operations are you running that you allow, you rely on your enemy to get your message out to the masses? Black Talk Radio, while we don't have millions upon millions of people subscribe to the platform. We don't have millions upon millions of people who have btrcommunity.com subscriptions, but guess what? In Since 2008, because we launched the same time Facebook launched, we were online before Twitter was online. And since that time, we have reached millions of people around the world. So much so that we have reached those people with the message that the United States has not stopped practicing slavery and that it's right there in the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution that even other nations like Venezuelan, Venezuela has pointed the 13th Amendment out and legalized slavery and human trafficking to the United States. We have reached so many people with our abolitionist message. That's how you got Abra DuVernay's documentary, The 13th. And then this other documentary, American Jail, which mentions the 13th Amendment, which was featured on CNN. That's why a new abolitionist movement exists today that had not existed since the 1800s, since before the American Civil War. And we didn't rely on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter. Did we use them? Yes, we used them. Sun Tzu, whether he was a real person or not, but in the art of war says that when you use your enemy's resources, you have doubled your own. 
And when I got banned for three days on YouTube, guess what? I could still get my message out through Black Talk Radio. When Zuckerberg took down my posts, I could share that thought with my audience through btrcommunity.com and on these airwaves. So anybody who's arguing that I got to stand up for my ideological and real world enemies like Alex Jones, because if I don't, these other platforms may suspend me, I call BS because I don't depend on them. I've never depended on corporations for Black Talk Media Project to do its work. I've depended on the listeners and the people who find our work to be necessary. They have sustained us throughout the years. If we had more support, we definitely could do more with getting media centers on a local level, producing localized media, creating localized social media platforms, creating localized digital radio. And we we could we could bypass all this other machinery, for lack of a better word. But I tell you what, I ain't kissing nobody's behind to give me a voice when this network was created because I lost my voice on a platform or my voice was taken from me and I said never again and Black Talk Radio Network was born. All right, I'm going to go to the phone lines. We have three callers who want to comment. Again, if you have any questions or comments, give us a call at 704-802-5056. Hit star star to unmute yourself with watch your background noise. I will call out your area code and, um, and come to you. So, Otis hasn't had a chance to chime in, so I'm going to go to Otis, uh, another one of my abolitionist comrades. Otis, what's on your mind? And welcome in to BTR News. Otis, you're still muted. Check your microphone on your equipment because you're unmuted on the board. While Otis works that out, I will uh, go ahead and take the other calls. Let me see. Area code 646. This is Tag again. Thank you uh, for chiming back in on this important topic. What say you, Tag? Oh, absolutely. And and thank you for, for raising these important points. I'll try and keep it as concise as possible. I just wanted to address Firstly, and, and part of my tardiness on this, but, I, you know, I, I had to be very uh, exacting in my uh, monitoring of media and, and, and news um, current uh, recently, especially. And so could you clarify for us, uh, and maybe I missed it during the call, but what exactly, if it's been uh, brought out, uh, Alex Jones has been, you know, facing this backlash behind i mean i've i've been familiar with him and his brand of you know uh sensationalism and whatnot 
for for a second now, but I, I'm not sure what specifically he has been caught up behind. He has faced a ban from Facebook, Spotify, Apple's iTunes, and YouTube for violating their terms of service on hate speech. So all of his Facebook pages have been taken down. His YouTube channel after his third strike, I might add, because they give you three strikes. You know, I had talked about last week how Hillary Clinton gave me a, uh, got me a strike on YouTube for using a clip of Barack Obama talking about uh, slavery and human trafficking without mentioning the victims here in the United States. He was at a Clinton Global Initiative and, and they complained to YouTube and YouTube suspended my ability to disseminate media for three days. That uh, Apparently that's the punishment for strike one. But Alex Jones had plenty of strikes. He got strike two back in January of this year. Then he did something else and got strike three and they banned him. And now we got leftists like Jimmy Dore, Jamal Thomas of the Progressive Soapbox. Those are primarily YouTube channels. And to my bewilderment, even Black Agenda Report defending Alex Jones from uh, against being banned, saying he has a right to put out his propaganda under the notion of free speech because if they take him out, then they're going to come take us out. That's the whole premise of their argument. And that's what I'm pushing back against. Right. And and it, and it's logical for you to do so. And I, I appreciate your, you know, raising up the question of holding down, you know, your own platform and, and the critical importance of that. So I'll, I will, you know, echo your uh, strong uh, praise, if you will, or at the very least, you know, um, positive highlighting of Telesur, which, you know, does, does excellent work, and that's their platform. And I, I've certainly noticed uh, for myself in, in um, you know, at instances of relating to interacting with that space and seeing, you know, um, what seems like some kind of tampering with the connection with that particular media space because it's, you know, outspoken about various injustices, including legalized prison slavery in the U.S. So, so um, I totally hear that and agree with, with your position around that. And I would only say um, as regards that kind of position, you know, these outlets that you've mentioned, um, I would imagine that it's coming from a place of, attempting to protect, you know, their platforms and their you know, brand. Their, yeah, their, their right, brand. Right. Yeah, right, right. yeah, and, because it obviously tag is users. It's not Mark Zuckerberg's staff that's flagging Alex Jones' hate speech. It's the users. It's the community. Yes. And I will and I will say that I know for sure um quite quite uh, blatantly uh, Black Agenda Report has faced repression uh, by these, you know, larger media, you know, uh, conglomerates online. You know, you're, and, and Google, you know, quite, uh, probably most glaringly, 
um, as regards their their um, SEO, you know, and uh, and searches, and you know, throttling the searches behind this whole. Hey, hey, tag, tag. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But when I heard Black Agenda Report make that argument, which again, Jack, uh, Black Agenda Report was targeted long before they took down Alex Jones. But again, Black Agenda Report don't engage in hateful rhetoric, dehumanizing this group or that group or trying to bully anyone. So it's apples and oranges. But when I heard that Google had delisted them, I put Black Agenda Report in in Google and it was the number one result alright and I always check on my own SEO if somebody put in black talk or black talk radio we're going to at least be in if not the number one listing we're going to be on that first page so so maybe that might have been the case in the past of them being delisted as I heard them allege but as of two days ago when I put in Black Agenda Report in the Google search, it's the number one, their website is the number one result. Oh, yeah, no, definitely it will be. I, I think that that question, you know, which which emanates out of the whole uh, prop or not uh, propaganda piece that was put out right. um, by the Washington Post, you know, um, so it's not so overt as that where black agenda report would be lower down on the list, but I have seen it demonstrated uh, for me, not, not as recently as today or this week, but relatively recently where uh, certain articles or keywords that should very clearly and did before that uh, reap results um, through. These okay. Got you. Got you. I, you know, I understand. You know I understand now tag and, and, you think that's just now? Well, maybe it wasn't happening to them before. But that's expected of our enemies to do that to us. You think that ain't happening in the Black Talk Radio? Of course it's happening in the Black Talk Radio. We write articles, publish blogs and information. Uh, I'm sure if somebody put in keywords that we're not going to be in the first 100,000 results. It's just, you know... I don't expect my enemies to boost my presence. You know what I'm saying? At the same time, I don't expect my friends to be trying to maintain the presence of my enemies on these platforms. Absolutely. I, we're, we're in agreement on that. I, I, I'm just uh, looking to point toward what might motivate those kinds of responses, which I'm sure you, you know, which you you are clearly familiar with, and I'm not defending that position per se, but I'm just pointing toward you know the kind of complexities of that question because you raised the issue of dependency, and I'm in total agreement. And you know, there's there's so much to discuss in that area, especially as regards you know the propaganda, the ongoing propaganda war out here that is ramping up every second. Uh, that said, if we look at, you know, the masses of people, just, you know, we've been talking about uh, Google, for example, which, the, which I don't even really like to utter their name, you know, on air because they have what is essentially a monopoly out here on so much um, as regards, you know, searches and all of the different media platforms that they've taken hold of, et cetera. Uh, similarly, um, you know, Facebook, the, 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 you know, as regards to the social media. So, you know, 
the dependency is not only uh, on our behalf, if, if, if that makes sense. You know, it's, 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 it's very much also been, been pushed on us where, you know, certain brands are so heavily promoted, become so monopolistic right. here that, you know, without them, a lot of these uh, operations, outfits, you know, smaller grassroots efforts, you know, really suffer behind it, you know, and so, and, and, and I mean, uh, talking to you on this, you, you know better than most that that's so, you know, so it's not to excuse, um, you know, any kind of even, uh, even tacit support of individuals like Alex Jones and, and these characters that promote propaganda that harms us directly, but it's just to say at the same time that, you know, there are other interests that perhaps heads are trying to defend, you know, in the larger uh, war that that's going on yeah, now. Yes, and, and, and I understand that. I understand yeah. that tag, and that's why I presented their arguments where they're saying, "Oh, if they come for Alex in the day, they gonna come for us in the night." Where they been coming for us? They been coming for us. So it's not like you're inviting something to happen that isn't already happening. And under no circumstance, and I understand and agree that the masses of the people are on these entities because of how they're heavily promoted. But I ain't talking about the masses of the people ain't running platforms, though. The masses of the people are not writing articles and, and analyzing social political issues out in the world. So that's why it's bewildering to me that people that I consider to be intellectual giants and what have you to to be advocating for hate speech because that's what you're doing under that flimsy art argument that if they come for him in the day, they're coming for us in the night. No circumstance should we be advocating for our enemy's ability to produce hate speech against us. I, I, I feel you on that. And so just to kind of uh, discuss very briefly some of the other uh, facets of, of the discussion thus far, because you know, a lot of uh, important developments have, have been raised, and uh, including this question of, you know, I, just very briefly, I, 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 I very seriously doubt that there's a single U.S. president in the history of the U.S. that uh, hasn't uttered that, you know, the N-word, as it were, um, right. out here. You know, I, I would be extremely surprised that there was even one. We have some of them like LBJ on tape, you know, and others. So, uh, you know, so, so the, 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 the patronizing language that's being employed against um, Amorosa, who, you know, I don't know, and I haven't really seen any reason to support, you know, in the past, but I think it's, it's important for us to always recognize that, you know, um, heads, heads that uh, look like us that are in those kinds of positions, um, you know, often will find themselves in the position to do some kind of damage to white supremacism. And, you know, and so you, you drew the spook by the door uh, parallel. And, and I think that's, that's always important to keep in mind before we jump to conclusions, you know, about uh, melanated individuals uh, in these kinds of um, seats of, you know, 
uh, perceived authority or what have you, because they could be hey. very well just monitoring. Them, great, great you know, point, uh, Tag. But I do need to move on uh, because I want to be able to get the whole podcast. Uh, it won't post after three hours, and we at two fifty one. So I want to give these other heads, as you say a chance to comment, but thank you for your very uh, uh, important commentary on what we've discussed here today. Peace, brother. Peace. Thank you. All right. Real, real quick. Uh, Otis, let's see if, if you can be heard. Otis. You are un, you are unmuted, Otis. I think there's a problem with your uh, equipment. Let me just read what Otis wrote. I'm sorry, Otis. We'll work this out another time because we're running out of time. Let me read what Otis wrote in the chat room. When Roosevelt was first lady, she he's talking about Eleanor Roosevelt, she had been drawn to the cause of racial justice. And as a board member and activist for the NAACP, she had lobbied for her husband on many race-related issues from civil rights to the... Castigan Wagner anti-lynching bill. Franklin Delano Roosevelt, for his part, was less than enthralled with his wife's alliance with the NAACP, and the White House attempted to maintain a distance between the president and Eleanor's activism. Marshall himself had felt the president's chill when Attorney General Francis Biddle phoned FDR to discuss the NAACP's involvement in a race case in Virginia. At Biden's Biddle's instruction, Marshall picked up an extension phone to listen in, only to hear FDR exclaim, I warn you not to call me again about any of Eleanor's niggers. Call, call me one more time and you're fired. Marshall later recalled, the president only said nigger once, but once was enough for me. All right. That was Otis comments that is uh, referring to um, our commentary on Amarosa, uh, who could be or maybe not. Who knows? I don't know because I don't know her. I ain't talked to her, but she could have been on some covert spook by sitting by the door stuff from the jump. Who knows? Last caller of the night. All right. We got about. Uh, let me check my time on my podcast recorder. We got about six minutes. Um, 609, I believe that's Ross. Ross, you're going to get the final word. All right. Um, peace and uh, great commentary from everyone. Um, I just wanted to basically point out two things. One is in reference to Soledad O'Brien coming to Tim Wise's defense, first I want to say that Tim Wise is a admitted white supremacist. He admitted it on the cows while uh, disrespecting Justice when she was on the show. So he is a racist, and he does practice racism. But anyway, Soledad O'Brien brings up something that Gus emphasizes on the cows very much. Um, being aware of whether or not a person, a, a, a black person has a white parent or is married to a white person, it doesn't mean that all of them think in a skewed way, but the logic behind it is that they can potentially have a skewed understanding of the system of white supremacy due to that relationship. It confuses the way their psyche would function. And Soledad O'Brien is married to a white male. So she is bought into the American dream. She thinks that 
uh, all the things that, that the Constitution believes. She has all that lofty ideal, fluffy stuff in her mind as far as just the way that she thinks about this country and the system and a, and a very patriotic approach to how she does things. I've seen quite a bit of her. Um, she, her she, she just, she is just, she, all she doing is, was reacting to the programming that she received. And I think that's exactly. what you said. Yes. And, and, and the other aspect is for the other people that you said, like you said that you, you know, you think are, you hold in high regard, or you, you know, you would think it are very intelligent and would not, actually give their enemy or, or advocate for their enemy to have a platform they're under the same sort of mind control they're the ones who will stand up for the flag put their heart on their chest and sing that song with, with fervor no no Ross Black Agenda Report would not Glenn Ford oh, okay. Bruce Dixon Margaret Kimberly Bruce Dixon a former Black Panther Party member so no I, I think that Okay, I know. I, well, I was mistaken with that, but I think that they buy into the ideals that, that, like you said, that that propaganda they have bought into that because it does not, like you said, it just does not make logical sense. Anything that le- leans towards violence and anarchy is never a part of freedom of speech in any society. If I go in a in a in a theater and yell fire, that's creating anarchy. I'm going to go to jail. Once enough people trample themselves to death, I'll be charged with those murders, and that's the way it goes down because it's not something you do. So, like you said, any hate speech is doing the same thing with black people in particular and our history with that word and white people wielding that word as a battle cry for other white people to to, to practice lynching parties and things like two, that. Two minutes, Ross. Two minutes. No problem. So, so I think you're absolutely correct. But I just wanted to just say that, um, you know, solar that I think just specifically is a is a, a good insight into why th- that information is important, and that, you know, people are under this propaganda mindset about uh, the 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 what freedom of speech really is, and the the ideological stuff that we've been fed since we were children. With that, I'll mute myself. Great show. All right. Thank you, Ross. And I want to thank Tag and uh, Otis. Otis, you couldn't get in. Hopefully, going forward, we can get your audio issues resolved. But I share. thank you for sharing through the chat room and everyone who tuned in. Uh, the podcast be up in a couple of hours. Please share the podcast with other people. And I, I think I've made myself clear where I stand. I'm not a free speech absolutist. I believe in censorship, okay? If it's media that harms another individual and intrudes upon that individual's uh, right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and will cause other people to bully him, then no, I'm going to censor it. There's no place for that in a so-called society that wants to practice justice and we don't have any have justice right now we got slavery and white supremacy and these people who are advocating for hate speech for their supposed enemy are victims of that system's propaganda all right thank you all for listening y'all be safe out there peace and blessings good night